passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome this man today to the program. He is a veteran journalist in the mixed martial arts space, a senior writer with The Athletic. Pleasure to have Josh Gross with us. Uh, Josh, how are you doing today? It's uh, great to have you on the program. Thank you, John. It's good to talk to you. Um, I'm hanging in there like everybody else, uh, you know, wishing for the best, um, thinking of everybody out there. So, you know, all, all of us together. You're right there in Los Angeles. Can you give us a sense of just, you know, when you're going out, like just, what is the the scene like on the streets right now? Uh, if you can just get, give us a sense where, you know, obviously California is a, a major hotbed at, at the moment. Yeah. I, you know, I think we hear things like hotbed. We're actually doing really well out here. According to all the news reports, I think the governor Newsom and, and the mayor in LA um, uh, have, have done um, really good jobs as far as I can tell. Uh, you know, I think if you're from different parts of the world or smaller communities, you, LA may still feel at certain points like it's busy, uh, but relatively to how uh, life normally is here, no, it's very quiet, few cars on the street, uh, very few people walking around. Uh, I think most people are being conscientious. Uh, within the first couple of weekends of the orders to sort of stay at home, people were out in hiking trails going crazy. Uh, I think a little bit too much. Uh, didn't feel safe out there. I think people were going stir crazy. But for the most part, it, it feels like we're doing the right things and the, the curve is bending in the right direction. Uh, it, it's good to hear. It just seems that everyone, you know, is dealing with this the, the best they can. And it's certainly interesting to look at, you know, just your – your timeline at this point that here we are inundated with all of the precautions, all of the measures being taken. And yet there is also the response from the UFC. That is all systems go as of April the 18th. What is it been like sort of Josh that here you are, you're covering this and you're someone that has been covering this for 20 years now to see the UFC kind of at the forefront of these sports that are the others are all kind of just taking a pause at this moment with the notable exception of the UFC and the WWE being another one of them. Yeah. And I think cage warriors also said uh, that they're securing uh, a venue over in the UK. Look, I, I, I think as far as the UFC is concerned, you have to understand like this is in the DNA of the company mm-hmm. to fight fights, to do everything you can to put on uh, events, even against political pressure, media pressure, criticism, um, you know, outright banning and, and, and trying, trying to be killed off cable pay-per-view. Uh, so I think like the, the urge for companies like the UFC, and there really aren't many companies like the UFC, um, is to fight through whatever's in front of them and get to event day. And so, and I guess in, through all that, it's not so surprising that that's the path they took. Um, I, I'm, I'm in no way am I, saying that I think it's the smart decision or the right decision, you know, all of that's going to 
come to bear. Uh, hopefully no one gets ill. Hopefully this thing goes off without a hitch. Hopefully, but there's so many things to get in the way of an event uh, that nothing bad happens. You know, I, I think we have to reserve judgment just from a common sense perspective, things that you and I talked off the top of the show, there's much larger issues in the world. It seems like people are getting along just fine without uh, the start of major league baseball season, without major league soccer, without the NBA. You know, I think we all would have been okay without, mixed martial arts. I'm pretty sure we would have all been all right if this UFC didn't happen on 418, but, but it seems like it's happening. Right. And, and so on some level, I think you have to weigh the pragmatism and the safer than sorry attitude that I think most of us should be carrying at this point versus like the, just the blind naked ambition of Dana White and the UFC. And, and it like, it's a huge if, but if it goes off without a hitch, if these fighters come in and no one gets ill and people are entertained. Hey, you know what? It was an enormous gamble. There's huge risk reward here. It's kind of in the ethos of what the UFC is. And uh, hopefully that's what happens. Because uh, if it goes the other way and people start getting sick around these UFC events, uh, I think you have to look squarely at Dana White and the UFC. And, and they're the ones that are completely liable for this, completely responsible for this. And there's going to be a big price to pay for those sorts of things. Not only just from a public relations standpoint, but you have state athletic commission, the association of boxing commission saying, Hey, we're going to look closely at this already, even though nothing's happened. If something happens, certainly I think there'll be sanctions levied against uh, the prom- promoters here. How, how do you assess kind of the, the overall, the, the image of the UFC in this moment in time? I mean, this has been uh, a company that since, t- since Zufa purchased this in 2001, this has been the company that has always, uh, perpetuated, uh, you know, sometimes using some fiction in their history, but nonetheless, uh, embracing regulation. And here is a case where, I mean, I don't see much wiggle room behind what they're doing at this present point that these, these measures that are being imposed on so many, it is not being seen as precautions. It's seen as barriers that we have to find a way around at this time so that we can present these fights. Yeah, no, no question. And that goes to what I was saying. It's, it's really at the core of what the UFC is. I mean, you can call it sort of a renegade company. This, this is something that uh, was underground for a while. And yes, Zufa came along and had their tagline running towards regulation. You know, that's not really fair to the SEG regime, which was also looking for regulation. They just didn't get it in Nevada. They ended up uh, getting it in California and then really in New Jersey. And, you know, they were promoting regulated events before Zufa came along. So this is something that they wanted to do that the sport needed. And the fact that Zufa really embraced that and now seems to be commission shopping in a pretty egregious way and not even commission shopping going where there aren't commissions or trying to get around regulations. It it feels to me like someone who is uh, on a pure survival instinct trying to operate and and just make it happen. And on some level, there's strength in that and the level other levels, there's real weakness in that. Um, And I I keep saying it's sort of, it's going to determine, it's going to be determined based on how this thing shakes out, how it plays out if no one gets ill, you know, whether it was smart or not. Um, but, but certainly there's no question that the UFC is uh, off on its own, uh, has taken this initiative and run with it. Um, I feel like a lot of the things that you're hearing from Dana White are, are parroting the president um, and, you know, sort of a lot of these attitudes that we have to get on with life, you know, we have to move on, we have to move on. You know, I think it's a, a, that's definitely Dana, but his relationship with the president of the United States has a lot to do with that language as well. And, you know, it's an interesting time. I, I, I Look, I have been covering this thing for 20 years, and, and at, at no point did I really imagine that the UFC would be on a conference call with the president of the United States alongside the NFL commissioner, Major League Baseball commissioner, on and on and on and on. 
but that's that's where we are at this stage of the game. When you kind of assess, you know, the, the UFC's tact here, and I mean, we cover a lot of professional wrestling, obviously, and it's kind of, you have to look at the parallels here that here are two companies that are moving forward. And one commonality is the fact that the, the fighters slash performers, these are, these are non-unionized performers. And I think you also look at that kind of added part here. I don't think anyone wants to see these fighters, um, Go, go without being paid or be harmed throughout this any more than any other workers that, that are out there. But it's something that we look at other sports leagues. I, I can't imagine that, uh, an NBA players association wouldn't be extremely, uh, resistant to any kind of empty arena games at this present moment. That this is something that I think also shines a spotlight on that aspect of the sport. No, the huge, huge differences between what the UFC is and what WWE is and, and what most of the sports world uh, is in terms of the athletes and their rights and their representation. So this is this is well known. Uh, I think it's a very difficult situation for when the UFC comes knocking on fighters' doors at this stage and say, hey, we have this venue, you know, we want to put you in a card. The pressure for a fighter to say yes is almost extreme. And I, I can't imagine a lot of them are going to say, no, I don't want to be a part of this. Uh, you know, it's it just... It, it's a it's a rough thing. It's no question about it. Um, I, I think I think fighters are independent contractors, um, and there are now mechanisms in place for independent contractors to get some relief in this economic climate. But uh, I think it's still a very uh, difficult situation. Uh, many questions, uh, loopholes, ways to jump through, have to do a thousand different things to get paid. And so most of these fighters. I think like a lot of high-level athletes, but especially fighters, they have kind of their own makeup. Uh, if they're presented with an opportunity to compete and do what they love doing and what the, do what most of them feel like they were put on this earth to do, they're going to jump at that chance and take it. And, re, you know, repercussions really be damned. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a high-risk business to begin with, and this just seems par for the course. It seems extreme to anybody from the outside. But if you're living in this world, living in this community, you talk to fighters, you know, they want to compete. They want to compete unless the option is there um, where they're going to be paid not to. And at this point, the UFC is certainly not going to do that. What's your opinion of how this is going to be met by the fan base at, at large? Is this going to be just there's a pent up demand to see fights and it's going to be all of the issues you and I are discussing are sort of uh, put to the side and it's simply going to be, hey, fights are back and that's ultimately the general fan is going to care about right now. Yeah, look, I was surprised by that poll that you put out on Twitter um, where 80% of the people said they weren't going to be buying this pay-per-view. I don't believe them. Now, maybe that's an audience that uh, doesn't usually watch UFC. Maybe you have more of a, a pro wrestling audience and they're the ones speaking. I'm not sure. Um, but I have a hard time imagining that even under the severe strains of the economic crisis that we're now in because of this coronavirus and all these sorts of other things, that people aren't going to be watching. Maybe a lot more are going to be streaming or finding illegal pirated streams. Do not recommend that. That's not something I would ever do, but um, I, I can't imagine that a lot of the fans aren't going to take that upon themselves to do so. They will be watching just how they watch and what capacity I think is the question. Um, I still expect this thing. If over the next 10 days it holds up and we get some promotional momentum and, and people can actually feel like, Oh, this is actually going to happen that they're going to buy into this UFC card, UFC 249. Um, and so I, I would expect the numbers to be pretty good. I mean, the eyes of the world will be on it, uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't, I'm not sure. It's probably a good thing, all things considered. Um, but I, I, I would sense that 
my, my sense is that people will buy. If you've been watching UFC pay-per-views over the last four or five years, um, and you know, you've got nothing else going on April 18th and you can sit at home and you can reasonably fork over 65 bucks. You're, you're just going to pull the trigger on that. I think a lot of people are going to be in that boat and say, yes. How, how do you approach coverage to this in the immediate future, the UFC 249 card? Because I think that you have to be looking at this, like the, the entire situation that is attached to this. And for others, it might just be cover this like a straight fight card. Uh, I, I can't really separate the two because of just um, so much of what is what, what is at stake here and what is really the the more significant issues uh, attached to this. But I'm just curious from your standpoint, how you look at kind of the media's role as well in covering this card. You know, cover the news. And there's a ton of news. Obviously, this thing, you know, mixed martial arts is still trying to stay in business. The UFC trying to make this event happen. That's all been news. That's all been something that's been on our minds. Um like, I think it's going to be harder and I, you know, whether I enjoy a fight or don't enjoy a fight really doesn't matter in the end. But I think for most people sort of going back to your last question, it may feel harder to enjoy these fights as they happen or in the immediate aftermath of a great fight, you, you know, you sort of just check back into reality of, well, we can't go out now. Can't do this now. We can't do that now. So I, I think that's going to color everybody's perspective. We're all living in this moment um, for the press. Look, I, I think for, a select few people. I think they're going to be able to go to these fights. I'm not sure how exactly how that works. Um, I, I know that I won't be one of them. And I don't think anybody from the athletic would, would go based on what our employers are, are telling us in terms of being safe. So, you know, it's, it's cover what you can. If there's stories to tell, you tell those stories. If you, there's ways to update the public and keep them informed, you do that. We have a role here. We have a job. Obviously this is entertainment. This is not overly important. But you see more and more mixed martial arts in the UFC, especially treading on territory that is newsworthy and playing in areas of the game in terms of politics and all that sort of stuff that you can't ignore. I mean, the, the fact is that mixed martial arts in the UFC is a relevant sport globally. It is something that's being talked about by the president of the United States on a regular basis. You know, the, the, these are things that you have to acknowledge and cover for what they are. Uh, there's going to be plenty of time. A lot of people are taking chances before the event to second guess and, and question, and that's fair. I think in the aftermath of it, uh, a lot of people will do the same. And, you know, hopefully no one's ever in a position to have to write a story about someone associating with these UFC events coming ill with coronavirus or anyone uh, affected uh, uh, workers at these venues or anything like that, because that's a terrible story to write. And uh, I'm sure that's a news story that, that nobody wants to delve into, but we won't have a choice if it goes that way. So it's just do the job, John, more than anything. Just do the job. You know, you know, if you're a media person and a journalist, this is what we sign up for. We're not being asked to go out and cover it like hurricane coverage. We're not, you know, in the midst of these emergency rooms where real dangerous reporting is happening right now. Most of us are in the comfort of our own homes. We can still have phones and talk to people and, you know, contact people and, and do our work. And so that's just the general attitude from my perspective. And I think that's how most people should look at it. Uh, as we just wrap, the, wrap this up in this this period, I mean, covering, you know, these figures for as long as you have. Is there anything new you've learned in in this, you know, in in the eye of this entire pandemic from the response from a Dana White, from a Scott Coker? Or is this a predictable course that you could have forecasted? That had this happened, this would have been probably the game, the strategy from either. 
Well, I, th- I think Dana White's ambition is no surprise to anybody. Um, Scott Coker is an employee now of Viacom CBS, and they took the prudent route, right? We're canceling the card that we were going to have, uh, you know, that was leading up to the Mohegan Sun event in March. They're canceling the card in May. So a little bit more cautious there, and it's totally understandable. I, I guess there's not a lot of surprise here. Mixed martial arts is a crazy, crazy thing to cover. It's never gotten boring. It's always wild. It's always pushing the margins, especially as far as the UFC goes. The UFC is an organization that has had to run from uh, from authorities before to put on fights. And, uh, you know, I guess this is part of that history. I mean, I, I, I believe that if this goes off with a hitch, that it'll go down as maybe the greatest moment of fight promotion that we've seen. And, and, and that's, that's a large statement because there have been some carnival barkers out there, some people who have screamed from the rooftops to make crazy fights happen in venues that didn't exist and all sorts of things, right? But to be the only sport going and to put your sport in a position to actually hold events on a regular basis and be something that fans can come and rely on at this moment in time, that's incredibly impressive if it goes down without a hitch. And so that's the UGF. But, uh, you know, no, I, I think, I think this, is, this is Dana White. Dana White has always thrived when he's got uh, opposition force. And in just this case, it happens to be the opposition force as a, as a global pandemic. Uh, and it hasn't stopped him, apparently. And that's an incredible thing. Uh, and it's something we're all going to be taking into account and watching and trying to understand as it goes along. And really just hoping for the best because um, it seems dangerous. It seems foolish, but this is, this is coming from a common sense point of view and you can't put that worldview on really any promoter and certainly not on on Dana White um, because, you know, while I don't think that he's going to make decisions that overtly endanger the health and safety of people, uh, he is certainly willing to push the envelope on those things. And this decision is the supreme example of that. Yeah. I, I'm just at such a conflict over it that obviously you want as much safety as possible. But on the other hand, it's all of this goes through. I mean, if every sports outfit, every entertainment outlet were to have the exact same mindset and that are sacrificing and losing untold millions uh, by by all of this time lost, that if we just rushed everything back and forced this, we may be in an ultimately much, much worse situation if everyone just believes that, you know, it's safe to go ahead and do all of this stuff at this point. Like this to me is an exercise in limiting everything at the moment. And it's just that that's the conflict I keep coming back to. Yeah, no, I, I think you're totally right. And that's a smart point of view. And I think for me in my life and the people close to me and what I've been telling everybody is that we should all be operating with a safer than sorry mindset right now, everybody. Um, and that's not how Dana White and the UFC operate. Now I will say this, that, you know, the, 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 the circumstances of the way that the UFC conducts business, just like Vince McMahon conducts business, there's a reason why combat sports and pro wrestling were the very first things that were ever really put on TV from a live event perspective. You, you don't need a lot, a couple cameras, you set up a light structure. You don't need a lot, right? It's You don't need an arena. You don't need a stadium. You don't need a grounds crew. You don't need all these things that you have in other sports. So if anything was going to go, it was going to be in the combat sports or pro wrestling realm. And so in that way, it's like the most sensical thing for why this is happening. But but I'm, I'm with you. 
Uh, all we can do is sit and watch and hope that the UFC has taken every contingency, every precaution possible, and then no one leaves this event uh, in uh, ill or uh, somehow contracting something that really they wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, because then it becomes an entirely different discussion and everything that we've talked about, all this stuff about me saying it was the potentially greatest promotion and fight promotion in the history of the world uh, just becomes a bunch of crap. And it's about really negligent uh, and poor decision making to make a buck. And if it turns into that discussion, then yes, this is a totally net negative, I think, for mixed martial arts in the UFC. And I'm not sure it's one that they'll get over for a while. Uh, well, I know you guys will have uh, fantastic coverage uh, at, at The Athletic. I'm a subscriber myself. Um, just uh, quickly, Josh, it's almost been a year now being at The Athletic. And uh, if you can just kind of convey like what um, kind of a, a forum you have now had at The Athletic and how it's compared, like you've been with the heavyweights that have covered mixed martial arts. How has the, the year at The Athletic gone for you? Uh, look, I've really enjoyed it. And for me, it, it came at... Um, I'm going to say like a great moment in my life because I was struggling to find regular work covering mixed martial arts. I really was since leaving ESPN in 2013 and for the athletic to come along and include me on just an unbelievable staff. Uh, I was grateful when they hired me. I'm grateful today. It's an A plus organization. I feel absolutely uh, committed to the direction that they've taken. I think the contact that they've had with employees, keeping us abreast in this, you know, current condition of the pandemic has been tremendous. Um, very transparent, very team oriented. And I, I, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, we are one of the places, um, that cover mixed martial arts that at this time really shine because, uh, the storytelling ability that we have, the, the perspective that we can bring with the, um, writers that we have. Uh, I, I'm honored to be part of that team. And I know our subscribers are really enjoying it. Uh, right now we're doing a 90 day free trial. So if anybody had thoughts about subscribing to the athletic, but they weren't sure before you jump on a 90 day free trial and you'll see why it's worthwhile. And um, I appreciate, I uh, appreciate the question a lot. Thank you. And if I'm not mistaken, April of 2020, does this represent uh, 20 years to the month of you covering mixed martial arts professionally? <laughs> That's correct. To the month. Yeah, actually, the uh, first thing that I covered was an athletic commission hearing in California at the end of April. So uh, I'm going to be writing a piece on that in that moment for the athletic and sort of a retrospective kind of look at, at that moment. But yeah, 20 years. I can't believe it. I mean, that's 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 two decades. Right. I mean, this is insane that's that uh, I've been around this sport for that long. And uh, it's, it's uh, at certain moments, it feels like, wow, I've really been around for a long time. At certain moments, it feels like it just happened in a flash. Um, uh, 20 years goes by quick. I will tell you that. Uh, you're a vital voice in the space, Josh. Uh, I have great, great admiration for all of your work. And uh, thank you so much for uh, stopping by to chat with us. Uh, it was great to catch up with you. Uh, stay safe uh, thinking about you and those around you as well. Thank you so much. Same to you and everybody listening.